This episode of The Clappers, we will be talking about Flames, the debut novel by Robbie Arnott from Text. We'll be talking about Sharp Objects, the HBO series showing on Showcase on Foxtel, starring Amy Adams in a sensational performance. We'll be talking about Carl's favourite pianist, Billy Joel, as well as the new film, See You Up There. Carl, have you been thinking about Billy Joel lately? Um, mm, can I can I be truthful and Please say do. not even? Not even. It's a funny thing. I find myself intermittently obsessed with Billy Joel. Uh, okay. I think you can probably see somebody for that. I'm not a fan of Billy Joel. It may um, surprise uh, you to uh, learn. I think you're already on the mend. Yes. But I read uh, an interview with him today in an online magazine called Vulture, where I learned many interesting facts about Billy Joel. I had read a while ago uh, something in Slate.com by Ron Rosenbaum, the author of Explaining Hitler, which I read about 20 years ago, a series of chapters talking to different Hitler and Nazi experts. It's a good book, but he wrote this article about how terrible Billy Joel is and why he hates him. And I was fascinated by that, but someone actually putting it out there, putting it down, saying, look, this mainstream chubby fellow that's everybody's mate is <laughs> terrible. And he, and the reasons are delicious, I, yeah, yeah, just it, delicious. Is it the mainstreamness or the chubbiness? Because, neither, neither. Because I neither. want to go to bat for the chubbiness. No. Okay. The, the bad, the bad rhymes, the cliches, the the, the arrogance, the uh, I don't get taken seriously enough as Up an artist. Girl is a cliche. Well, it's it's like a, 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 a shall we say homage to Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, or as I prefer to call them, the Four Seasons. But this article in Vulture is an interview by somebody who loves him, who is a big fan of him, and even this interviewer can't hold himself back from being incredulous at, at Billy Joel's hubris and he stopped writing songs I don't know if you know this Billy Joel stopped writing songs something I like 20 years ago yes and Elton John says to him why what's happening why why aren't you releasing more stuff and he says to Elton why aren't you releasing less Oh, mm. and he oh. feels the same about Paul McCartney as well. Oh. I know, <laughs> but what's great is his reason for not writing songs is because he wasn't happy with the last album that he released of songs. I don't know what it's called, but whatever is the Road and the River or something, the Promised Land. I don't know, man. But he stopped writing because he wasn't happy with the way his work was released. And the interviewer is incredulous and says, "But that was a number one record. That was what." what the album sold millions of copies. What more do you want? Oh, look, it's just, I'm just not happy with the way that was, so I've decided I'm not writing songs anymore. Do you need this validation? No, no, it's not that. And he keeps hopping backwards and forwards between not caring what people think about him and, of course, caring being what people... Being incredibly needy. Being caring. He knows the names of every single reviewer who's written a good, no. rev, a good review. He lists them. He, he says, no. he, in the one breath, he's telling you he cares not for reviews, and then he tells you about the good reviews that he's got and who, who they were oh. written by. And, so and I, I please, I really recommend, saying. I recommend to all and sundry lovers of Billy Joel, haters of Billy Joel, the ambivalent people, just... It's in Vulture. It's great. It's funny. Oh, look it up. And it's so very he's enjoyable. clearly saying there when he says I don't care about reviews, he just doesn't care about the bad ones. He you, doesn't care to remember well, their does, names. He does. Although care. I think he does. He I does care does. about them. And and they touched on a film that I saw at the film festival a couple of years ago called Hired Guns about session musicians. Oh yeah. yeah. And it interviews many session musicians, but it especially interviews some of Billy Joel's session musicians who are aggrieved at being sacked by 
a staff member from his band having played with him for 20 or 30 years and um billy joel does not want to tell you why he sacked one particular member because he would ruin his life very tantalizing he does not want to ruin this man's life but he will if he tells why and he won't <laughs> so <laughs> it's just it's just a little thing it ta- it'll probably take you if you're a quick reader it'll probably take you five to seven minutes unless you want to click on all the different footnotes which are interesting enough in themselves so it's at vulture it's uh, maybe we'll just put it up on the thing so if you can't be bothered just go to our page the clappers the facebook page the clappers podcast and and there'll be a link there for this very hilarious and then you can get a, a link to ron rosenbaum's why billy joel is terrible which is also really i'm not saying this because i want you know i don't want to get get on this guy's case he's a wealthy man and it, look he, he he did a very interesting thing at a recent concert when after that massacre in lexington kentucky um with a, a car drove through a crowd of people protesting against a, a, a Nazi rally. I think it was... You're talking uh, about Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Why, yeah. why, why would I say Lexington? Charlottesville. Uh, somewhere in the south. Civil War names, man. Anyway, uh, he wore a, a yellow star on his breast pocket yeah, at right. his concert, his way, of, his way saying, of saying, oh, by the way, I'm one of those minorities you hate. I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew. and, yeah. if you, you know, I'm yeah. uh, the president. They're, they're not good Nazis and good Ku Klux Klan. They're not good. There's not good on both sides. Yeah, you can't yeah. equivocate like that, which, yeah, it's a cool thing to do, you know. I, I yeah. respect him for doing that. Yeah. Excellent. I expect him for wearing the yellow star. I respect him for not playing anymore. <laughs> no, he plays, man. He plays two gigs <laughs> a month. Bars. No, he bars plays now. at Madison Square Gardens. He's been doing it for years, <laughs> once a month, and it's packed out really? every time. Every yes, month. Once a month. Every month. Yes. It's true. I don't want to look. I don't want to reveal I, I just, too much for the, for no, the people who have wanna, not read this article. I just want to visualise this, right? So Madison Square Garden. I've got yes. a little chalkboard up outside mm. every Sunday. <laughs> well, no, once a month. The first sun, PM, first Billy Sunday Joel. of the month. You know, bingo, chicken dinner, <laughs> Billy Joel. It's grouse. All you can eat. I haven't been to New York for a very long time. I hope. That he's still, you know, doing the bingo, the chicken dinner, and the the, the hits when yeah. when I eventually return because that would be a strange and, and interesting experience. Andrew, what have you been watching? Um, I have don't you been know. To the movies? Oh, I have been to the movies. Oh my god! I went, I went saw a movie that, that I did. Was didn't... a Dorothy Dixer, and you, you just threw it straight back in my face. <laughs> I, well, see, when you say what have you been watching, I imagine the television, not not the motion picture. That's all. Sorry. Okay. Uh, what did you leave the house to go yeah, and there see? Are, there you are. I, yeah. I went and saw a film that I didn't know existed. I was absolutely delighted. It's a film called... But hang on, hang on. Before you go, yeah. before you go, I just <laughs> want to know, you didn't know it existed, but yes. you went to see it. So, yes. explain how that came about. Okay, so I thought, <clears throat> I'll see a motion picture today. <laughs> As one does. Typed into my difference engine, motion pictures. <laughs> and this list of motion pictures comes along and there's this interesting looking picture. I don't know why. I, you, know, you know, they have a picture and you click on the picture yeah. and it tells you what the film's called, blah, 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 blah. I looked at it. I thought, mate, that looks interesting. Click the trailer and I realise it's a film of a book that I read last year uh-huh. by an author called Pierre Lemaitre who is also helped the, um, the director of this film with the screenplay. It says, avec le patissiation, or however you say it in French. Um, so he was involved in the film. And the book in Australia is called The Great Swindle. Okay. Uh, and the film is called Au revoir, la haute 
which means a colloquial expression for I'll see you in heaven. And the film Doesn't is... mean goodbye to the bag of oats. No. And, no. and the film is called, in English, See You Up There? See You Up There. Yes. See You Up There. Uh, the Great Swindle is a, a great book. And this is one of those things where you can see this film and enjoy it. There are quite a few differences in the film, obvious compressions, but also quite a few differences in the plot and in the way things resolve to the book that I don't think will spoil your enjoyment of the book one iota. It's about, it's set in and just after the First World War. And two soldiers have found themselves blown up and in need of severe, serious mental, uh, mental medical attention. Their officer is the reason why they have been blown up and almost dead, and they fear he will try to kill them. And so one of them disappears himself and changes his name, and the other looks after him because the one that disappears himself, Edouard, has had half his face blown off and needs severe medical and and palliative care. I, I, I'm thinking uh, like Jack Houston yeah, in uh, but worse. Boardwalk Oh, Empire. so much worse, man. So much worse. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite gruesome, in fact. So they decide, well, Edouard, the, the great... Um, the, the great romantic figure, his face is blown off. He, he creates masks that he wears, which are beautiful. There's a, a, a swindle that they decide to, to get back at the, the government, at the plutocrats, at the profiteers who've enjoyed the leisure and safety of Paris while they've been on the trenches getting the, the, the hell blown out of them. They decide to swindle everybody by putting out a catalogue of beautiful monuments that towns and villages can subscribe to that will then be built of course the monuments won't be built they're just going to take the money and run and so it's a great it's a great caper in a way as well their erstwhile commanding officer has been working his own scam where he has got the contract for digging the graves and burying the the war dead but he's skimping and pocketing the extra on the coffins and a, a wonderful character that's, that you spend a lot more time with in the book, but only a little bit of time with in the film, called Joseph Merlin, is the government uh, assessor who comes and uncovers the whole corruption. Now, what's interesting about this, these two plot lines, the, the fake monuments and the embezzlement of the money for that, and the, the uh, war grave scandal, one of them is completely fictional and one of them is true. Oh, which is the true? Hang on. Have a guess. Which uh, do you think is true? I think the statuary is true. No. 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 Graves. The graves. There was so an what did act- they do? Did there was they- an actual scandal where they... They doubled up bodies they, in they, coffins? They, they dumped bodies. They, they built shorter coffins using less material right. and used that you know the, the money for the extra and pocketed themselves and, and it all came out. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a... The book and the film, I think, is a tribute to the the ordinary people who were affected by the First World War. It's a great story of friendship. It's a story of loss, of love. Uh, the son, Edouard, he's a rich boy whose father disowns him in the film, mainly because he's not interested in him and because he, he, he has pretensions to wanting to be an artist. He's a, he's a wonderful artist. His sister is seduced and marries their commanding officer who tried to kill them on the battlefield. And so everything kind of relates to each other and winds its way together to form a, uh, a very satisfying conclusion for the cinema goer. It's interesting. In, you can end things any way you like in a book, and I think people will accept it if the book's well written, but people have certain expectations of how a film should end. You think? 
Yeah, and I think people's expectations of the way this film ends will be very satisfied. It's inevitable, but but a little bit surprising too. When I say you think, yeah. I don't mean so much that people have expectations about how uh, a film will end. Mm-hmm. I mean more, uh, you know, I'm surprised at your supposition that yes. uh, people accept any kind of ending in a book if it's okay. well written. So, yeah. So people okay. What I mean is, what I mean is, there will there may be a okay. So the end of nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Okay. I was not happy with the ending of nineteen eighty four. Remind me, gosh, it's a while. Uh, well, I'm, I'm. If you haven't read nineteen eighty four, shame on you. But I've, if you haven't, just <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. Just keep it going and turn the sound down or something. I'm not sure, but I'm going to tell you what happens at the end of nineteen eighty four. Oh, that right? was a, that was a spoiler alert. Yeah, Is that what yeah, that was? Yeah. I thought you were trying to shame me. No, 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 no. I just don't want to, you know, spoil it for anybody. But uh, Winston Smith betrays his lover Julia yeah. and ends the book sitting on a bench, once again listening to the clock strike 13, looking up at a picture of Big Brother with tears in his eyes, realising he loved Big he Brother. Loved brother. That's now, that's a that's a really appropriate ending for that book. Yeah. That's how the book should end, right? Yeah. As a teenager reading it, I threw it across the room. I wanted him and Julia to get together right. and go off to the golden country and live in this, this Arcadian paradise, having lots of healthy English babies together. So, you gotcha. know, yeah. he, 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 that, that book ends ends correctly i think you know and and other books do in in similar ways they don't you have your own view of you want people to get together or you want the person to become wealthy or what you know your fairy tale ending is which stays with you from childhood and but as you mature i think you can read books where characters that you really like end up dying or or the the good doesn't always win and and the meek don't prosper and you know the 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 bad guy wins in books a lot more than in movies you know and that's that's my point the differences in this film to the book are fine and great and and enjoyable in their own right so uh this book won the prix goncourt which is like their their vogel i suppose in france and the film won five of whatever you call them in France. Césars. I'm, I'm not sure, but it, this is award-winning stuff. This book would have been hugely popular, winning that prize. And the film, I suspect, was also popular because it's beautifully made. The costumes are fantastic by a woman whose name caught my eye called Mimi Lempica. Maybe she's related to Tamara de Lempica, the great Art Deco portraitist. I was going to look that up, but I didn't get around to it. But it's a great film. It's on at the Nova in Melbourne, and I'm sure it's on at other um, places that sell really expensive ice creams and packs of, of beer and wine and, and little <laughs> knick-knack, little titbits you can eat on your lap and press a button, you know, those joints. I'm sure you can see it at any one of those. It's just suggesting that it might be in a, a gold-class cinema. I think oh, you're dreaming. No, 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 no. I wasn't suggesting the gold-class. I was suggesting the, the, the bourgeois-class yeah, yeah, right, um, right. cinema, which is where where you'll find me anytime you want to see me at the movies. I'm likely, more likely to be in the bourgeois-class than the gold-class. Yes. So this is... this, there, this is uh, There's a beautiful scene in this film where there's a little girl who helps them who because the book is yeah, written in uh, free and direct discourse so you know what's going on in everybody's mind you know what's happening this film the guy can't speak he's had half his face blown off so this little girl who's a character in the novel plays the role of his interpreter and so he'll be like grunting and groaning and snuffling and she'll say what he says is blah 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 it's quite delightful and she's an enjoyable character it, it's a sad film very sad film but also really satisfying and exhilarating and i recommend it 
see you up there. Is that what it's called? See you up there. See you up there. You know me. I, I, I might see you there. I might see you there. Well, so, this one has completely slipped by me at the at mm. the cinema and at the screening process and all the rest of it. So I've missed it and. Uh, I think I might go and check oh, it out. Oh, look, there's a lot of great French World War One films, you know. It, it's, a, it's a topic that nobody seems to get exhausted. Constantly books are coming out. There's one called Pandora's Box, a book on, on the First World War. I said second. First World War that's just come out. It's, it's a, a rich and rewarding field of study, and, and they don't seem to want to stop making movies about it. There is a World War One story that's been made here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a virtual reality film. It's a like a ten minute experience. Right. It's called The Unknown Patient. It's based on a true story. It's fascinating. It's about a uh, 1916 in London. A guy is wandering around on the streets in Australian military uniform. He's picked up. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know how he got there. He's got no idea what's going on. He is shipped off back to Australia. Uh, he's clearly suffering PTSD of some of some stripe uh and uh, is he an enlisted man or an officer who knows okay who knows he spends 12 years in an asylum unable to identify himself or to reconnect with the world in any meaningful way until a nurse publishes a photo of him or Mm. takes a photo of him sends it to a newspaper it's published and it becomes a sensation because all of those thousands and thousands of families who've lost somebody and their body has not been recovered and so on. They they want to claim this man as their oh, own. So falsely, it, you mean? Not falsely. Oh. Just just that kind of that desire, that yeah. will to connect. Um, and so it's kind of like heartbreaking. Anyway, this this story, which I, I knew nothing about until, uh, you know, news of this, this film surfaced, uh, it just sounds absolutely fascinating. And how, I mean, it was a sort of a, a core celeb back in the day. Yeah. Uh, in sort of 1928, I guess when this when this story broke, um, and there is a resolution to it. I, w- I won't I won't reveal that here. Unlike 1984, <laughs> <laughs> which I've ruined for so many people now. Well, he is identified ultimately. Yeah. Um, his his mother uh, makes contact and claims him. Um, anyway, it's been turned into a virtual reality film, and that film, The Unknown Patient, has been uh, selected to play in Venice at the film festival, oh, which is really pretty exciting. That's great. Can yeah. you see it here? Well, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. They promise that maybe you will. At some point. I mean, this is How this do is you the see great, a virtual well, reality film? That's the thing, isn't it? It's the great conundrum about virtual reality is that it is a really exciting medium, I think, that has quite amazing possibilities in terms of uh, how it can tell stories and how it can take you into a story. And this in this particular film is really very much about putting you in the subjective space of this poor man who's completely disoriented and fragments of his of his actual life fragments of his his life in the ward fragments of his experience in the trenches and all of that sort of Mm. mashes up um but there's no sort of outside of film festivals say Mm. and the gaming space which is where a lot of vr work is being done at the moment for That's this kind of experience, there's actually no real exhibition circuit. You know, it's sort of, it, it's it's tricky. It's what it's. I think it's the thing that uh, remains probably the biggest hurdle to virtual reality taking off as a sort of widespread and widely accepted form of storytelling. I think there's still quite a lot of investment in it by people who are excited by the the potential of it without there necessarily being a viable business model at the end of it. And I, and I you know, I, I offer the caveat there, 
outside of gaming because mm. in gaming it's pretty obvious how this kind of works and you know ultimately i suppose there's a lot of people who believe that uh it'll probably have its greatest application in the the realm of pornography but you know yes well philip kerr's book what was it called the constellations no, the, the philosophical philosophical investigations uh has a serial killer mm. who is killing particular men and i can't remember why uh, I think there's a medical, that's right, there was a medical experiment where they did some form of castration on men who had called the Lombroso project, had a tendency who, by measuring their brain waves, they showed that they have a tendency that they could some point become a murderer or commit a violent crime. So they submit to some uh, surgical intervention to uh-huh. remove that part of them. And this fellow slips through the net and decides to go and start taking out guys right who who have that tendency to perhaps be at some point violent and at various times he puts on this virtual reality this book came out in 1993 puts on this virtual reality suit and a virtual reality hat and a virtual reality condom and goes into the virtual world doing various things but also having sex yeah so um it's 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 an idea that that has uh, been kicking around for a while around for a while i think there are probably real world iterations of it already yeah um, we'd be experimenting i imagine in the lab in the Kins- lab kinsey style it's it's research love it's, it's just research it's just like it's the just kinsey, research it's like the kinsey report all over again <laughs> the virtual kinsey report anyway we've got a long way yes from world War well One. can you let me know when that's going to be ready i will let you know good thanks <laughs> something completely different mm-hmm. a tv series yep called sharp objects this is it's for those who like to pay for their entertainment although actually uh, let me rephrase that do, do any of us like to pay for our entertainment <laughs> I, I, no but I, some I of think, us are resigned i think, I think some of us uh, accept that there there is there's going to be a cost somewhere along the line yes. whether it's the cost of buying a ticket at the motion pictures yeah. or your monthly subscription to stan what which, i'm what i'm saying is this one's on pay tv it's on it's on foxtel it's, it's an hbo series it's called sharp objects stars amy adams mm-hmm. And she plays an alcoholic journalist with a bit of a self-harm problem. And she gets... I can see why you're interested in this. <laughs> it's really pushed a lot of buttons, opened up a lot of memories for you. Can I just say there down. are several points at which I identify. Yeah. My name is Amy. Yes. Yes. So uh, that's right. The, the actor's Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Now, I know people yeah. who like Amy Adams. Yes. Yeah, I'm one uh, of They them. mention her when she's in a film. They say, oh, Amy Adams is in that. Ooh. Or, oh, I've got to Ooh. see that Amy Adams. So she's the kind of actor that... Uh, Arrival? People, the, the people, Did you see Arrival? No. That people I know like. I don't think I've seen it. I must have seen something with her. Uh, she's got red hair, right? She's got red hair. Yeah, well, that's a plus in my book. <laughs> I'll always cleave towards the actor, actress with red hair, actors, men with red hair, present company accepted. <laughs> I, I tend to cross the road American to avoid Hustle. Did you see American metaphorically Hustle? speaking. I did see that. That wasn't bad. But she was in that, wasn't she? Yeah. 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 Did yeah, she, she have red hair? I think she yeah, was, she she yeah. was um you know she was supporting actor to her cleavage in that film. Uh-huh. I mean, she she wore the most plunging necklines. Yeah, I'm trying to. I can't every, picture every outfit it. she yeah. had was cut basically down to her navel. Okay, right. okay. So in in interviews about sharp objects, yep. she's talked about the fact that she like she quite consciously, quite deliberately does not have her American hustle body on in this film. She's yeah. basically she's gone to seed. Right, she's uh-huh. allowed herself to be. 
you know quite unfit she stopped working out she started eating crap you know the, the kind of thing that actors do to transform they do, they do. And, uh, or just to enjoy themselves and <laughs> That's what, just that's to what you back. and I do just to, to enjoy back, you know. <laughs> I don't have my American hustle buddy on either. <laughs> Nor do I. Nor do I. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just such a fantastic performance in in a really really dark and difficult story. It's I suppose it's ostensibly it's based on it's based on a book by Gillian Flynn who wrote Gone Girl. It's her first novel. It mm-hmm. was her first novel, and uh, it's. Is it similar to Gone Girl? Not really. Gone Girl is probably much more uh, contrived and mm-hmm. smart with its contrivance, I think, than this is. This is a more straightforward kind of... She gets sent back to her hometown to investigate a couple of murders. Oh, yeah. Right? I think that I've heard about this. And <laughs> well, Maybe I'm thinking of all those real-life true crime podcasts. Possibly. You could be. You could them, well, be. You know. well, it does have a bit of the vibe of yeah. one of those podcasts of which I, I do listen to many it must be do you now i do, do you? i do and in bed no no i i've spoken to someone who listens to them in bed i thought how can you lie in bed disturbing. listening to them wouldn't that terrify you i, I would be scared to you know to get out of bed yeah. but yeah. you know people are different yeah she um anyway she goes back yeah. she goes back to the and she holds up at the house in which she grew up yeah. which is the the domicile of her rather odd, somewhat distant, very controlling and extremely judgmental mother, mm. played by Patricia Clarkson. Oh, you see, well, you know. Now, now I've now, got you, haven't now I? You know now how you're I, on board. You know how I feel about <laughs> Patty Clarkson. Absolutely. And I... So Let's just stop this, talking now. I'm just, just going to watch it. This is effectively, <laughs> I suppose, on the surface, ostensibly, mm-hmm. it's a it's a crime thriller, right? It's like seven part series, uh, eight part series rather, of which I've seen seven. Okay, and I'll say that in terms of it being a, a crime thriller, like a whodunit, mm. if it turns out in episode eight that it's not the person I thought it was, and it's not the explanation I thought it was in episode one, yeah, I'll be extremely surprised. Okay, right. so it would kind you, of would feels you be mad. Like, no, would you feel not cheated. At all. Not at all. So because okay, to my to my mind, it's not really a whodunit. Right? Okay, yep. the whodunit is the vehicle through which you explore these characters yep. and these relationships yep. and this very very dark, seedy, um, historically fraught kind of southern town. Yeah, right. Um, you know the. It, Class is a big part of it. Uh, the huge disparity between those who sort of inherit wealth and those who were the working poor in yep. America. Uh, racial kind of element there, although it's not primarily about race. It's it's sort of like background, but it's, mm. that's not really. It's more about it's more about boredom and about inherited um, guilt and and uh, I suppose uh, responsibility. For, for past crimes I, I take it back when I say it's not it's not primarily about race there is race absolutely mm-hmm. this I mean it's, there's a confederacy uh, reenactment uh, mm-hmm. as part of <laughs> just sort of like do, do they win do they win in that one <laughs> no but they get cast as the good oh, guys man. that's for sure okay uh, it's it's really fascinating and just amazing performances. Absolutely mm. beautiful. And you said it's on what Netflix? It's on Fox. It's on uh, it's an HBO show. It's on Foxtel. So it's on Foxtel. Yeah, it's on Showcase. On okay. Foxtel. If you get a chance to see it, um, I can't see how I will. 
Well, you know, I can't see how. Do, I will. do you one month subscription again? No, I mean, no, no. They won't let you. They, how, they how know many? it's me. They know it's me. <laughs> I tried to get another one, another two week free subscription. Well, every and time you upgrade your computer, surely yeah. that gives you another little window. No, it, it's very interesting. I, I thought I'd found a couple of clever ways, no? uh, okay. but my clever ways were just not as clever Damn. as Rupert Murdoch's empire. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, he beat me again. Well, at some point, it'll turn up. At the video shop? <laughs> well, a blockbuster. <laughs> yes. Well, no, thanks for, for, for pointing that in, in my direction, and I'll, I'll keep it in the back of my mind. And I Should think, circumstances change in my household? I think it's time for you to reassess, uh, or at least assess, mm. Amy Adams, who I think is seriously one of the best Oh, I, I, I have no, no, no problem with her. I, I, I just, like I say, um, she's, she's no Patricia Clarkson. <laughs> she's no Melissa Leo. She's no Christina Hendricks. You know. She is Amy Adams. She's Amy Adams. In space. Okay, I have something I want to draw your attention to. It's a novel, a debut novel by a boy named Robbie Arnott, Tasmanian, called Flames. And it's as close to perfect debut novel as you could imagine and I say imagine I mean imagine it's wonderful to come across something that is actually the uh, creation of somebody's imagination rather than some articles they found one day while pouring over old newspapers in the loft so how close to perfect is it okay if they wished to put out another edition of this book became tremendously successful the people our good friends at text if they wanted to put out a second edition of this book they need to do one thing. They need to contact me. I will tell them which chapter to excise. I will tell them which parts at the very, 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 very end, the sort of acknowledgement, thank you parts to excise. There you would have a perfect novel. So just one chapter? Just one. One glaring chapter. Now, now I'm, I'm just leafing through this. I'm mm-hmm. see that some of the chapters are very short. Some are short. Some, some are not. Some are, 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 are in sub-chapters. So you'll have one chapter, then yeah. it'll be one, two, three, and four in that yeah. chapter. This book has a different protagonist in each chapter, which I didn't... Sometimes you get two or three. But every character in this book has a chapter which they're either narrating or it's, again, that free indirect discourse. You're going through their mind and finding out things about them. And not all the characters in this book are human, which which is can go really wrong, you know, and it doesn't. It's tantalising. The... The plot such that it is, I, I suppose, hinges on a misunderstanding between a brother and sister. The women in this particular Scots family, the McAllisters, after they're cremated, they return a few days later, somehow in the shape of their old selves, but also incorporating various forms of, of fauna, flora, I should say, covered in in moss or reeds or leaves or bark and they self-immolate two or three days later it's the strange thing about the women in this family they die they're cremated they return they wander amongst their family their community and everyone knows about these McAllister women so i know nothing about the story but i'm seeing a kind of uh, an allegory of the christ resurrection it's not no 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 it's not it's not it's just it just is and you and you accept it now the the brother and sister left behind by their their mother who was who was 
died and has returned briefly and not said a word and then burnt herself up on her ex-husband's lawn. The brother worries for his sister and decides what he needs to do is cause a coffin to be built for her so that she won't be cremated, so that she won't have to suffer through this awful return. Not that he's expecting her to die anytime soon. They're in their 20s. And she gets wind of this and leaves, terrified, thinking that he's plotting to murder her, you know. And he sends a private detective after her. And while this is happening, other characters in the Tasmanian locale, and this book is a Tasmanian book set in Tasmania, and certainly makes you want to visit Tasmania again, especially all those parts that you've never been down in the southwest or the west or where I've never been. There is a beautiful vignette, a chapter which appears to have nothing to do with the story about a fisherman and his seal. And the seal and the fisherman uh, hunt for tuna together from when he's a very young boy. And there's another chapter which does impinge massively on the story about a water rat who imagines that he's king of the rivers and who's in love with the queen of the clouds. And every every element has their own god, so to speak. God of the rivers, he is. And that actually has an impact on the on the denouement and the plot. The father of 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 the the, 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 the son and daughter of the, the, the deceased mother, he is an enigma and has disappeared. And uh, neither son nor daughter want to have anything to do with him. And we follow the progress of the daughter as she escapes as far away as she possibly can. And she discovers something about herself that the title of the book, Flames, gives you a little clue to. And it's absolutely fascinating. I was worried when when after about halfway through I realized I wasn't going to get back to her narration. But it turned out okay. Every single character... In, in their own narration or in their own chapter about them, finds themselves interacting with characters that you kind of wished you'd hear more from. So you do hear more from them in a way that, you know, from the ob- observation or from the the viewpoint of another character. It's it's tremendous. It is, it is imaginative. It's exciting. It's, it's thrilling. You, you wonder, is she, is she going to stay away? Will she? Will she? Will she be? Will, will her brother come and get her? What will happen to her father? What, what? What? What is? What is the outcome of this apparently tragic uh, affliction that she and the female members of her family have? And it's fascinating. And I take out that one chapter, and you've got a perfect book, Robbie Arnott. The other Tasmanians love him. Uh, Richard Flanagan. Here, there he is on the front. Uh, he's the winner of, was it the Nobel Prize? No, the Man Booker Prize. And another prize winner, uh, Rowan Wilson, I think Vogel. So you've got some heavy-duty Tasmanians going in for Robbie Arnott. And I strenuously recommend this book. If David Boone? Did he David Boone. David Boone didn't have anything to say, nor did uh, Richie Port. Richie Port obviously has other things on his mind than flames. But it is elemental. It is uh, moving. And it somehow brings... Things alive that that you might ordinarily think of as just bland background description that you want to get get past as quick as you can so the action can continue. Forget forget, forget the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. Question already is, have. <laughs> I, read it, I read it like three weeks ago, so I can barely remember a thing about it. Question is, yes. What do you think he's trying to do? I think he's trying to write an imaginative work of fiction about a family that has a level of dysfunction that's almost, well, that's surreal, 
but at its heart, still a tremendous amount of love that that is sometimes misplaced, that sometimes, like the, the brother loves his sister. <laughs> He's building her a coffin and she's terrified and and perhaps it's perhaps he's he's often described as strange and creepy and weird and i don't think there's anything strange or creepy or weird about him so maybe that needed to be brought out a little bit more so maybe that's a criticism i'm not sure but uh, i i'm i'm I, what the author's trying to do is write an imaginative novel about don't think he's trying to create like a like a, a nature myth m- mythological system a nature-based mythological system no he's not l ron hubbard he's not trying to create his own religion <laughs> or his own set of belief systems for people to come and sit at his feet and um, no i i I think it's it's a great it's a great debut. It's a wonderful it's a wonderful work of imagination and something that's not not as common as you might think in fiction. Something completely created out of a person's mind. There are things there that just don't exist, and yet you read them and they become plausible. It's not science fiction or anything like that. It's not fantasy. It's not horror. It's just an imagination of things that don't exist. And it's it's just marvelous, and you and it's completely credible. I um, I am a credulous person, of course, but I'm quite quite critical and and even cynical when it comes to reading. And uh, I love this book. Excellent. That's it from this that's episode. From of the this episode of the oh, that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. That no, that's it. That's it. I'm not saying any more. You go. That's it from this episode of the Clappers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>